0: Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue.
1: Hello there. Welcome to this week's 1% Better Podcast episode interview. Lovely to have you along. Just before we start talking about it, last week's episode with Siobhan Murray, all about burnout and resilience and overwhelm, dealing with all of those and building the resilience piece was and is doing very well. Lots of people checking it out. Lots of people giving some feedback on it. Uh, Siobhan was very kind with her time. She has a book out, The Burnout Solution. Check out the episode if you haven't. As always, there's stuff you can take out of it that you can implement. So check that one out. This week's interview is one I've been looking forward to recording for a while. Probably due to the coronavirus, I was able to get this one done. If things had been normal, it might have been a lot harder because it is with the Olympic qualified Longford swimmer, Dara Green. Now we're both from Longford, so that's the start and probably end of the comparisons between us or the things that we have in common. Whereas I'm doing a podcast about Dara. Dara is preparing for the Tokyo Olympics. Unfortunately, they're not happening this year, but as he says himself, with a positive mindset, he thinks next year maybe an even better opportunity for him to compete. Dara is one of a very small club, uh, I think of three people, as we talk about at the start of Longford Olympians. were very thin on the ground there, so that in itself is a huge achievement. He's the Irish record holder, first guy to break 60 seconds for the 100 meter breaststroke, and it was great to chat with him. A few weeks ago. He is a very down-to-earth guy, very confident in his own ability. As you'll hear, he's made a lot of sacrifices. He's a late bloomer. He sets goals that he tends to destroy very quickly as has been the case over the last few years since he really went all in with the swimming and has started to make Huge strides forward and that's another reason why another year before the Olympics might work very well in his favour. It was great to get him onto the podcast and as I said from Longford it's always great to talk to people from my hometown and I look forward to following and tracking Dara over the next year as we build up to the Tokyo Olympics in 2021 check it out. I hope you enjoy it. Before we get into the interview as always, if you're new to the show thanks for checking this one out. Check out robofthegreen.ie where all the episodes are or any of the podcast apps that you might listen to. Apple, Spotify, Google. Click subscribe on those. You will get all the episodes when they come down and if you enjoy this one or have any feedback drop me an email rob at robofthegreen.ie Tell a friend. That's the kind of stuff I hope you might do to help the show expand and get more folks checking it out. That always helps. One last thing, in the next week or so I hope to be putting out the first six episodes of the Emotional Intelligence series called Me, Myself and EI. The six that will go out, cover the foundations of what is Emotional Intelligence. We do an interview on The Self with Dr. Zelda de Blasi and a couple of other episodes that focus purely on self-awareness, lots of why, how and what that is all about, and another interview with a gentleman called John Broderick on emotional intelligence assessments, how you do self-assessments and the value from them. Lots to come in that, but that's for the next couple of weeks. This one is all about Olympian from Longford, Dara Green. Enjoy the show and take care. <laughs> Hey folks, welcome to another 1% Better episode and this one, it's been a while since I interviewed somebody from Longford, being from Longford myself, it's its a rare occasion I get to, to talk to folks from home, but uh, delighted to interview and talk with a Longford Olympian, Dara Green or to be Olympian in the near future, Dara Green, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi Rob, thanks for having me.
1: So I'm going to ask you a kind of a sport-related question first that wasn't on any of the ones I sent over to put you on the spot, right? We're going to talk about the Olympics now, obviously, 2021. And as I was doing a bit of research, I I Googled to see how many people from Longford have been Olympians. So you're in a unique club. I could only find two others. Do you know who they
0: are? Uh, Lane.
1: That's one.
0: And... Not sure
1: on the other one. <laughs> you will never forget it after this. I remember him. His name is Derek Burnett, and he was a shooter. He 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 um he was a sh- a sports shooter. I think is the, the sport the trap or something. I think is the sport. Wow!
0: When was that?
1: It was in the two thousands two thousand. I think he was in two or three of the Olympics, um, and uh, it was in the kind of the shooting events. So, and I, I do remember at the time thinking that was quite interesting. I, I think he might be from like Ocknack Cliff or somewhere just outside, <laughs> outside or in and around the county. Uh, but you're part of that trail. I, I don't, I don't know of anyone else. Um, I couldn't see any obvious names popping up. But uh, a great club to be in, a unique club. Uh, I'm excited to hearing about how you, how you're getting there. And obviously speaking of which, right? So we're recording this on, I think it's the 14th of April. Um, in three months time you should have been i suppose getting on a plane and heading over to tokyo how are you how have you adjusted how have you adapted to the change in date and everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks months or suppose as we led into this kind of crisis we're dealing with
0: yeah so it was kind of mad last what two two and a half weeks everything was pretty much flipped on its head i was in hair training and i it was just at the start of my preparation phase coming into olympic trials as of the whole country was getting ready and to prepare ourselves for it was supposed to be on the first week of april and we were supposed to be going into our prep phase and it was that tuesday evening we were told that was the last session for the foreseeable future that we were supposed to be doing and so yeah it's back home now i a bit of equipment with me so i've brought a few weights down with me. I was able to get um, Coral Leisure Centre uh, in the mall have um, lend us a few of their equipment, um which has helped me out a lot. Stationary bike, which I'm on every day or I try to go for a run just trying to, that would be my aerobic side and then I'd either do strength and conditioning, a core session which we as a team usually do or and I usually have mobility sessions with the physio scheduled in during the week also on zoom calls to nutritionists as well so yeah it's it's a bit of a change to being up on the sports campus
1: (laughs) i can imagine yeah and as you were so the the trials that you were um preparing for was in you said early april planned to be in april early april you've obviously qualified already so what was the what's the What was the incentive in those? Then was it just the best time possible? Just kind of going through the 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 whole cycle.
0: Yeah, so like from I was the only Irish swimmer to pre-validate myself. That's what they're calling pre-validation. Is when you go to time. I did it at World Championships in South Korea that summer, last summer, and at the Olympic Trials, I had to go a softer time. So it was one and a half one percent off my. Uh, The FINA A time or the Olympic qualification time, just to prove that I'm still fit and ready to keep going. Uh, While the rest of the guys had to try and hit the FINA A time, which is the standard for the Olympics.
1: Okay. Okay. But there was no question, obviously, even if you turned up and your your time was very slow compared to the rest, you were still in, like right? there was no kind of rolling back. Yeah, That's
0: of, I uh, yeah, I had the first one foot in the door kind of thing and um, it was just really just um, confirming it again then um, with the rest of the guys, hopefully, especially with the relays and that as well.
1: And what's the typical, I suppose, expectation from the Olympic swimming team, how many would they be hoping to get in for any, any games? Is there a, a target for this one, for example?
0: Yeah, they set out standards or targets for each kind of cycle, Olympic cycle, uh, the NPD or the national performance instructor does. And um, so we were hoping to get, I think it was around eight, which would have been a big team because two relays, and then a few individuals as well within that. So, um, yeah, it would have been a huge thing because I think the most Ireland's ever had really in the last two Olympics, I any mean, of this is around three four. Was, in Rio, it was only three summers, so one diver. So.
1: Right. Very good. Okay, so we, we'll definitely come back to maybe the training and the prep because um, I'm interested in even where, you know, where tapering off would come into all of that. But the obvious question, I suppose, is you're coming from Longford, you know, played a lot of different sports when you were growing up from what I've read. Why, why swimming? What was the, the draw towards that out of all?
0: Um, yeah, I get asked the question a lot and it's more as I think about it. Um, uh, I've done, as you said, every sport in the game kind of thing from Gaelic with my local Irish Clungish to playing for soccer with Newtown Forbes. Yeah, I think it was after, it was around transition or my third year in school, I broke my leg and swimming was obviously the first thing I could really get back into. And um, you definitely take things for granted when <laughs> um uh something like that happens to you then, you miss it a lot. So I definitely kind of rekindled or found like a huge interest in swimming again. Uh as it was the first and only thing and I decided um into my transition year then to just stick with it. Uh so not take anything else back up, and yeah, so up my training a lot more, and said I would just give it a go, and um, and yeah, so as as I taken the other distractions away on automat- uh, straight away, my time started improving and stuff. So. Mm. Yeah. so
1: you didn't you didn't have any designs to go down the route of goalkeeper like your dad? No, he was uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> he didn't. You kind
0: of know I was a... Uh, I did play in goals, but uh, at the same time, yeah, I didn't really go down that route. <laughs>
1: okay, and he didn't—he didn't put any pressure, undue pressure on you. Very was he one of the influencers who who was kind of influencing you as you were coming up, and especially when you started to focus in on swimming, who was kind of there to guide you, mentor you, to kind of bring you along.
0: Um, with my career so far, I found that like I, I'm a, definitely a late bloomer in my sport. And um, so it, it's more as i progress through my career there are different people along my journey uh, that has definitely had a big impact in or mentored me towards which way i want to go kind of thing and um, from yeah when i was up and started up in dublin it was with kind of uh, my first coach which i trained up in up there to Don O'Meal. He was uh, one of the guys in UCD that used to coach us and he went to every uh, swimming championship. There is Barthes Olympics but he definitely seen something in me to kind of um, like he got me thinking got my head going which I can actually go to the Olympics and those like that kind of route. So yeah it's then jumps along the way and then it came to The decision of moving out from UCD to uh, the High Performance Centre in Dublin and I'm training under um, a coach called Ben Hickson so Ben he 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 was in Stirling University and he's coached every medalist there is to coach Um, and he it kind of stood out for me that I needed to go or take that Next step in my career, um to improve, so um, I pretty much dropped everything and moved out to the uh, national sports campus. And yeah, so haven't really looked back since.
1: You mentioned your the mccarty gentleman there that gave you kind of some self belief in a way, and and kind of started to plant ideas in your mind that you could go to the Olympics. And you also mentioned you were a late bloomer, so maybe the second part—were you, was there a high level of discipline and focus when you were starting to get better? Do you think that it was lack of hard work, or or what was it that was maybe holding you back?
0: Um, it definitely was the the sacrifices that I really had to put in. So it was kind of like like there is no such thing, or I just had to put everything aside whether that was nights nice out to. Obviously socialising was a big one um, to even just starting to take notice of what I was eating to um, even simple things from going to bed early and stuff. They all um, contribute to how well you train and your performance at the end of the day.
1: And did you start to notice when you started making some of those tweaks or changes gradual improvement, big improvements quickly?
0: It was more... uh, I was kind of chipping at it all the way up through UCD. My times were kind of up and down, but they weren't, there were nowhere near, I was still got a bit off the FINA time or the Olympic time. And then once I moved out to the national center in Dublin, um, I moved out there in February two years ago. And... uh, uh so European trials were on that, uh, March, I think. And I had goals set out for the year and what I wanted to hit, I wanted to get get my first proper international, um, which was Europeans championships in Glasgow. And the time I had to go was 61 seconds. Was it 61.3 or 61.2? And, um, so that's the time I wanted to go, and then all of a sudden, uh, within ten weeks at the the qualifiers, I dropped down to a time which was my first. Uh, I broke the Irish record out of nowhere, and uh, all of a sudden, I had to completely rechange my goals for the year because I already hit it within ten weeks. So it was kind of one of those things that you do surprise yourself, but at the same time, you you realize or you get that self-belief and confidence that you can do it. Uh, and so then kind of set out with my coach then that I wanted to be the first Irishman to break 60 seconds for a 100-meter breaststroke. And we did it at European Championships. We went 59.92, which was also under the FINA A time as well. So that was like within my first year i was just making huge jumps <laughs>
1: yeah definitely that's obviously going to add to the, to the confidence when you set the goals maybe talk to me a little bit about the process that you used to use maybe for setting those goals and how that changed when you started to work with the likes of hickson and and gone to the the aquatic center what, what's the process like how do you kind of walk through that uh
0: so it definitely set, set out like um each year so World championships are every two years, and Europeans are every two years, and they're opposite kind of fall opposite summers. And then obviously the Olympics is every four, but sure it's five this time. But um, yeah, you kind of set out that you want to be on them because they're all um, they're all uh, kind of steps towards the main one, which is the Olympics. So uh, you kind of want to work on average where kind of wanted to get a semi-final second swims and the main one was definitely doing a PB or personal best. So if you're doing a PB, you're improving all the time and it can get you a second swim into a final swim. So you kind of, instead of oh, saying that you want to get a final, you don't know, nobody has control of what's going to actually make a top eight final. But if you can PB and do that again and again, it's the look at the dice at the end of the day then, um, where you place.
1: And as you, you're setting that target for the Olympics, in the, the weeks and months beforehand, are you noticing typically gradual mini goals, mini targets that you're hitting along the way um, and, and kind of measuring it? How does that, that work? And I suppose what are the, the tweaks or changes you might be going through to, to shave milliseconds off? Just interested in how that kind of works as you build up towards that.
0: Yeah, so definitely um, we'd like. Well, I'm training six days a week and you do set out goals in that session, what you want to achieve, whether that's working on your underwaters to technique in the stroke itself to your turn starts or even just putting in a good hard key session and proper nailing that. And then there are little things, so you do get... So no session is pretty much just like, oh, just paddle through and then on to the next one. Everything is kind of um making the most out of it.
1: Right. So they're measuring nearly every session to see if you're hitting certain numbers every time and um and yeah, that that kind of puts put its puts its own pressure, I suppose, or or serious focus, deliberate focus on, on every session. Very interesting. On the mental side of things then, what has been eye-opening for you in the last 18 months as you've kind of worked through that in, in the aquatic center looking at it from a psychological perspective some some of the tools you use visualization that sort of stuff what what, what kind of has been useful there
0: we do have uh, access to sports psychologists and stuff but it's kind of open to you whether if you need it or not and um, i don't personally use it i'm fairly yeah i'm pretty grounded to see at the same time i just uh when it comes to racing, that's the big thing I always enjoyed. And I say the kind of the bigger the opportunity or the event, the better I kind of step up and perform kind of way. And I just love the whole buzz about it. And I loved it at a younger age. I've always noticed that even when I was in the local club in Longford, the only thing I wanted to do was swim breast rope and I just wanted to swim fast the whole time and race whoever was there beside me kind of thing but when it came to slowing down doing drills kind of proper concentration I had no interest in it kind of way. so it was definitely that flip side of getting in the training and the mileage and stuff this time around to build up on it yeah the kind of main one mentally would be kind of what I've learned is really just uh, whatever comes along your way which is a huge thing in swimming how you deal with it best and you have to be the person to deal with it the best because everyone's going through it. Like just the position that we're in now, people were obviously mixed between the Olympics being postponed and whatever, but sure it is what it is. It's still going to happen. It's just a different date. You can either dwell on it, cry about it or whatever, or you can just see it as an opportunity to get better because we have time now to work on things. Uh, it's like everything is completely slowed down. So And things that you want to work on whether that's mobility which you have more time to do uh just extra things to get that in to make you better
1: and when you're talking about different techniques or things like when would you introduce a new technique or or something different into 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 maybe the fundamentals of how you swim and how how long would it take to develop that or 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 do you go near those sort of things at all? Do you make any, like if you I suppose a bad comparison, maybe, but a golfer with his swing, right? They would maybe make tweaks to that or sometimes completely rebuild it to try and go that extra few yards, like Park Carrington or whatever, which your stroke. Does that stay very consistent? Do you tweak that? Do you change that? Is there, I suppose, anything that stands out around that? Uh,
0: yeah, you would be kind of as, as you get older and stuff and the element of strength and condition. When that's added into it, you, you're obviously your body's changing a lot, so you are getting used to that as well. And um, so you're definitely um a lot mindful of working on your technique, holding good technique because the one thing you need to hold the best is well, like when it comes down to racing, it's the person at the end who slows down the least. And the thing that's going to help you with that is good technique, how you can hold the water and stuff. So yeah, it's and um, we do do a lot of. Uh, technical sessions to uh, drills
1: a lot of video analysis I'd imagine as a result of that as well
0: yeah definitely since I moved out to the centre it's um, Ben Hickson has brought over a lot of sp- sports science so um, even from our whole training programme uh, there's what 12 of us on the team and usually like from the clubs that I've been like swimming in general in Ireland uh it's like one coach, how many swimmers, and we're all doing one session. But uh, the program that Ben brought over and who he works with is a man called Jan Albrecht. So uh, at each certain block, so our blocks of training would be around three to four weeks. So three weeks on, hard, and one week off to recover at adapt. But uh, yeah, so the, the test is pretty much based off lactate levels so we for you to test every month or so um you would we'd have to get in and before we get in we'd we'd have to do a 400 meter swim uh freestyle and 400 meters breaststroke a 200 meter 250 meter breaststroke 100 meter breaststroke and then 100 all out and before and after each of them swims we get our lactase checks, so they prick us in the ear and they check uh, our lactate levels and they compare it with time. And, yeah, we send that off to Jan. He has a algorithm, so it sets up kind of your capacity levels or pretty much the size of your engine and how it works, basically like a card and how hard it needs to work. Some people in our train sessions only do 2 to 3K because that's – all they need but as it comes up to a competition uh, they'll be doing a lot more while other people like myself i'd have to be doing a lot more higher volume because of the kind of engine aerobic system i have and just to kind of keep that level of intensity or how my body works the best kind of
1: mm. Mm, very interesting. So there's there's a hell of a lot of science going in, into behind it there. I suppose like most sports nowadays, it's very fine margins. What about injuries? How how do you deal with injuries? What sort of injuries do you typically pick up in the in, in the I don't know, would it would it change massively from the type of um stroke you do or or style you have? Does does that have a different impact on swimming?
0: Yeah, that was kind of the one big um, kind of uh enemy i had starting off as i got into doing more training and stuff obviously i was getting sick a lot more and injured a lot more because obviously as my body hasn't been used to it at all so it's already been put into a hole so i was very prone to injury or illness so and um, definitely the last like it's taken i've been in the center what three years now and it's t- only this year that we've actually got it right as in it's like my like all our swimmers have set out goals with the coach what their main objective is and mine was just to be fit and healthy and get in like stay in the water as long as possible kind of way which we kind of worked out was the best so that even came into my sleep and nutrition side to everything else so um yeah, with injuries, I, main ones was my knee, right knee, because pressure is such a weird kind of kick. It's very, um, there's a lot of pressure goes through your knee and shoulder injuries as well is a big one. Mm. So um, I definitely have to be on top of my core because obviously someone is a full, full body and the one kind of foundation is your core. So we do a lot of core work and my mobility was a big one as well in them certain positions which isn't really um human or natural for humans kind of
1: right mm. and what o- other core work like would you be doing things like yoga and, and different sort of classes or, or sessions that that obviously have nothing to do with swimming but to try and keep the overall whole picture in in focus
0: yeah kind of uh do you know the reformer machines reformers Mm. So they're kind of a uh, Pilate machines. Yes, the Pilate machines. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so they use with different springs. So yeah, you're just using, uh, getting into different positions on that machine.
1: You're a swimmer individually, predominantly, right? But you're probably part of a team. Do you, do you enjoy the team element? Do you enjoy the uh, actual, just the ability that it's all on you when you're in competition? Interested to know a bit about your, your interests on that.
0: Yeah. Like we have a really good team set up, uh, in the center, but at the same time, like uh, yeah, we're all fairly competitive between each other, which is good. Keeps training interesting. <laughs> and but uh, yeah, when it comes down to it, like like as you say, swimming is a weird one. Kind of your individual, but at the same time, you need to go on a relay, so you have to wear them two hats with it. So you do have to step up for a team in that retrospect. At the same time, you're Still so have to look out for yourself and be that selfish kind of side comes in to look after your own individual swims as well.
1: Mm. But obviously, I guess even when you're swimming individually, you are part of a bigger team. Your your coaches, your nutritionalists it's, it's all part of the the bigger package. I suppose that you have to kind of keep uh, keep focused on from that point of view. When you're swimming, how many how much time would you spend in the water on a, on, a, on an average day or an average week?
0: An average day, we train for two two and a half hours in the morning and two to two and a half hours in the evening and from monday tuesday we have one session one session a wednesday and thursday two friday and one saturday and then we have three key lifts uh, throughout that week as well so our gym lifts as well so it's a uh, it's a intense week, like everything is revolved around the next session kind of way.
1: Mm. Do you find the actual actor of swimming i talked to a couple of um almost olympic swimmers before on the podcast and it's like a meditation to to them almost when they're going up and down do you kind of find yourself in a flow state do you forget everything how do you kind of keep the mind focused
0: uh yeah it's kind of um it can be like that meditation side you say at the same time if you let yourself kind of wander off your your body's going to go into what it's comfortable with so that might be bad technique bad habits so you really have to keep on like keep your mind focused which is uh kind of a real test like we would we'd be given like for our easy session we'd be a five kilometer straight swim and yeah like five kilometers is uh, the
1: easy like, session yeah
0: yeah so it's definitely like a character kind of building kind of exercise as well to keep going and doing it properly hitting your technique hitting your walls for that continuous up and down for that two hours even though it's like going for a walk for like an analytics person it's just getting in that recovery but at the same time it's working that mentally mental side as well
1: yeah no like that that is meditation or mindfulness is effectively putting your focus on one thing for as long as you can and wandering off is is the brain just doing what it does but what 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 technique have you developed to kind of keep that focus for as long as you can and how quickly you can notice that you've maybe just gone off a little bit. What what do you kind of do you count in your mind? Do you just count your strokes? What what kind of keeps you focused?
0: Yeah, so we'd um you'd kind of break it up. Um so take a section by section. So we do we're doing a kilometer uh we do that say with fins and paddles and break it up as in we'll do 250 meters of that freestyle and then 50 meters of that back crawl. so uh yeah it is broken up so you can actually work on each increment and put your full focus into each one instead of looking at it as a huge 5k
1: mm. and you find that helps just kind of break it down and it, do you do you feel yeah. that those two hours go goes by very fast when you're in that kind of zone mode
0: uh yeah so the more folks you put on uh yeah the time flies down
1: it strikes me that you don't probably suffer from nerves or you wouldn't get too tense before competition would would that be fair to say
0: uh yeah well like yeah like um i like my time time for like I take my time like between getting into the pool and stuff i'd be there the earliest out of all my my kind of um teammates and stuff um yeah because i usually just take like take my time with everything else so nothing's rushed or anything so it's fairly calm mm.
1: do you have like a pre-race ritual or routine that you kind of go through as you prepare for starting
0: yeah so everything from Uh, routine wise we have everything planned from when I get to the pool so from when I get to the pool I have it like all down on a list uh, with our prep or strength and conditioning coach because he's the last guy we see before the race so we I'd get there say two hours before my race I'd stretch out roll out and then it would be time for me to hop into the pool warm up get the feel of the water, get out, come back, caffeine, uh, get my suit on, race suit on. I'm back 20 minutes before the call room. I do a race prep. So it's really just like explosive work from band work, like band pulls to med ball slams, uh, really get to get heart going. To I'm down in the call room 15 to 20 minutes before our race, which is when we have to be there. So, yeah it's really like we know exactly when uh what we're doing where we're supposed to be until we race Mm. down to the minute
1: (laughs) and then obviously the race itself is just you executing the plan the next step of that whole routine really isn't it you don't probably think of it any differently yeah you mentioned caffeine so how, how is that is that a, a, something that you would be recommending or is recommended is it just a, p- a preference that you have what are the the nutrition and what you take on board before a race how different that is to training
0: uh yeah uh caffeine is definitely recommended um especially during a long kind of like uh week of the competition uh when you're like swimming but it's getting that balance as well how much is too much caffeine because then when you say get a semi-final swim that even obviously you're going to use a lot of caffeine but like you could you mightn't be racing until eight o'clock that evening and so your race is done under a minute and then you're expected to go back eat and try and sleep still wired on caffeine so it is kind of getting that balancing which you use like a lot of pre-season swims to kind of get that right to try out new things that's the main ones and what you prefer what you don't prefer and yeah and then you can kind of refine that for the biggest race races then or competitions
1: when you say ca- how much caffeine is caffeine is it like multiple cups is there uh, just one
0: uh you could either take from caffeine tablets which is easy to take mm. um i prefer kind of espressos cuz you kind of get that like feel of you're actually drinking it and. You have the taste of it or whatever. So mm. that's what I prefer. Um and even like the nutrition side has it down to like there's so much science and in depth to it compared to like, uh yeah, it's mad. Like we're told that if you take caffeine tablets, they'll you take them forty five minutes out from your race, but if you take liquid, say a pre workout or a coffee or something, that's twenty minutes out. So yeah, it's all down to it's down what to
1: you And is that tweaked or or kind of tuned to you your body or the general rule of thumb for people like is it different for everybody from that point of view
0: yeah 100 percent different for everyone compared to if like i'm a regular coffee drinker Mm -hmm. i'd have two coffees a day uh love it compared to some lads absolutely like hate drinking coffee so they'd rather have like a red bull or a monster and if they're going to gym or whatever but yeah they prefer caffeine tablets and say a pre-workout i
1: remember reading some one article you had said where you arrived you started to compete at an international level but others didn't know who you are maybe that you were new to the scene did that give you any advantage was there kind of that surprise factor
0: uh yeah it was was a huge advantage because like you come there and like you have absolutely nothing to lose whatsoever so That's like a huge, like no pressure whatsoever kind of thing. All you have to do is like you're something at an international level. You're representing Ireland and you've nothing to lose. All you have to do is kind of do what you've trained for and try and hit uh, your personal best, which will then uh, set out the scenario for the rest of the whole race kind of thing or your lineup for how you end up kind of thing. That's all you have to do.
1: On any given race, can anyone beat anyone? H- how much margin of, of or, or you know, if somebody has a bad race, can somebody come out of nowhere? Just very interested in how tight it is at the at the very peak there, and and what your experience is competing against some of the top in the world.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's really just, uh, uh, especially kind of this era of breaststroke, it's very very in depth, or there's a huge depth in it compared to other kind of races like. There, are World Championships I placed seventeenth and it's top sixteen for the semi-final. But I that was the first ever world championships in history that a sub sixty swimmer uh didn't make it back, which is kind of never heard of. So that's the kind of death. But at the same time, like um yeah, anyone is kind of beatable. like uh it's really down to um you kind of focusing on or like home yourself in in the situation of working on like obviously you're going to be in a different pool different country all this different like small factors take into place like different food you have a different bed but like at the same time you're expected to step up and swim the best swim of your life in that situation so, uh, yeah, it's really kind of taken all endings on to be able to uh, do a job.
1: Mm. You said different cities, different pools, different beds. Is there a place where you've swam over the last few years that seems to be where you really perform better than anywhere else? Is there a kind of a favored venue? Uh,
0: the favorite venue would probably be uh, the competition called Settacoli. It's in Rome. So, it was in. The 2009 World Championship pool, outdoors. Uh, yeah, it's an absolute amazing pool. Um, everything is complete marble. And the whole kind of has a kind of lighting uh, system all around it. Um, yeah, it's kind of a ridiculous place. Like, the history around it as well is just like um, where bloody the 2009 World Championships were, where Michael Phelps were. It was the last year where the full-body suits were able to be worn. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Mm.
1: And in that sort of venue, you feel it gives you that extra impetus to perform better. It gives you more of a spark, more just.
0: Yeah, even like the Italian kind of uh, culture is really big in swimming. And um, the one place that really I'm looking forward to going is Budapest for European Championships because swimming is one number one, number two uh, of ranked sports in. Or top sports in Bo- or Hungary, so uh, they really take their stomach seriously. So uh, yeah, I say the atmosphere there would be unbelievable. Mm.
1: And just on a normal yearly calendar, how many international events would you would you take part in? Like, is it like a Grand Prix type thing that they're they're in multiple countries all over the world over the course of a year?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, kind of set up or competitions as Grand Prix things, just the Marin Ostrom, uh, circuit so that's uh, a big one in the summer of end of June, July uh, that takes place in Monaco uh, Cannes, down south of France and then in Barcelona um, yeah so you pretty much fly around and it's one of those kind of big main hobbit competitions where all countries go to, to kind of put in some hard uh fast and like
1: and it's a it's a full time gig right this is what you do for a living right now What what's the projection looking forward you know next year the Olympics what sort of longevity do you see in this potentially for the next number of years
0: I definitely hope to get another cycle in an um, Olympic cycle anyways after this it's kind of like it's really like everything starts over or resets every after every Olympic cycle so even when it comes to when Tokyo has finished, all of us Ireland, um Ireland's coaches and stuff, uh, their contracts are finished at the end. So whether they're renewed or what setup it is, it's kind of laid out then coming into September, October, when you actually know what's happening in your sport itself and what you have access to, who you're coaching with and etc cetera, etc cetera.
1: and obviously the next cycle will be a three-year cycle though right because the next olympics with that one year has been shaved off it's not moving a year out
0: yeah be a, it's one of those things that has to be talked about um definitely will be a interesting kind of um look at or to hear what their thought is because obviously it's still gonna land on Uh, europeans or world championships and they're both two different government bodies as well so they're not going to give up their spot too easily
1: right 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 so it, it might actually potentially move out a year as well or it might stay you just don't know yet
0: yeah, really don't know, yeah.
1: Like, I know it's way down the road yet. You're, what, nearly 25 at the moment. You probably have another Olympics at least in. And I think from reading as well, it seems like the age of world-class swimmers is going up. Your career is lo- elongating. Is that standard at the moment?
0: Yeah, so um, it, it seems to be coming in, especially if um, this thing called ISL kicks in. So it's the International Swimming League. Its first pilot year was there last year. And it's... Um, It's kind of like a team-based tournament. So um, athletes that get, um, say, recruit for teams, uh, they get a sign fee and they get paid a wage kind of thing. Each kind of um, competition they represent their team at. And, yeah, it's kind of main focus is giving back to the swimmers and so swimmers can earn a living kind of off it between like say before Christmas kind of way, which is, would be a huge game changer because now with swimming, it's only based off and um, like we get carded, which is a uh, government funding, but it doesn't like it. It's keeps us going, but at the same time you can't really earn a living compared to what other like footballers are earning. Not like even like a percent compared to them but uh yeah so swimming really was big into like the main big top swimmers were pretty much relying on sponsorship and that kind of thing for kind of making a living off their sport so hopefully this will kind of change that and help it along a lot more
1: Mm, inject inject a bit more not only money into it but i suppose just more interest more tv coverage bringing everything along from that perspective have you thought about life after swimming what what that holds what what you might like to pursue once the the swimming career is over in probably 10 years time or so i
0: have done like thoughts of it and um, definitely like the kind of sports side that, or sports science side that i've been i uh, have experienced in Myself in my own sport, so I definitely would like to explore that a bit more after it's all done. I'm definitely keeping that kind of link of sports or working in sport kind of thing.
1: Final one for next year. I know it's a long way away. You're, what was what was your target for Tokyo this year, and how do you see that potentially changing for next year?
0: Tokyo was definitely a kind of uh where I wanted to like throw everything into it. So I wanted to get my best ever performance out of myself. And I knew if I did that and was able to do a lifetime best, I definitely will be able to kind of get, hopefully get a second swim, um, which will have been huge semi-final, And it's kind of, as I said, if I'm able to recreate that each time, uh, it's kind of like, obviously I have no, No one has no kind of call on who, like, as my coach says, no one one goes to the Olympics or goes to the Olympics with a gold medal. And then you kind of have to work from that. You have to earn yourself to get there, first of all, and then get through the rounds to get yourself in that position to be able to do something.
1: Yeah, well, look, I think it sounds like the self-belief is there. And if anything, you have another year to to – Shave more time off the you know the personal and lifetime best have you ever done uh, like a, a personal best or lifetime best in training do you time it that much do you do you perform ever better in training than you actually do in, in competition
0: uh no because we're usually in very high training so only when it comes up to competition then are kind of tapering so our intensity would kind of go up but our mileage would come down to and um, the gym would definitely. Gym is the main factor why we'd be like wouldn't be able to swim as fast as we could because you'd have doms to your working hard every day kind of thing. So um, yeah, it's only when that rest comes in, your body recovers and is able to perform at its best. So um, yeah, it's, it's a I, I don't know even how they're able to do it, but uh, it's like tapering is one of those kind of things that you really have to get right. If you're a day or two out. That's a day or two before or after your race, which you're at your best. So it's really just kind of narrowing it down to getting yourself or like preparing yourself for being your best on the day, kind of thing. So that's when your taper starts to end, kind of. Thing.
1: Mm. And you probably play with that a good bit in the season, building up to that. You might taper for an event, and you kind of figure figure that out a yeah. bit better. Okay. Okay, yeah. very good. Look, Dara, thanks again for taking the time out. It was uh, very interesting to hear all about. I learned a lot about swimming and uh, some of the, the the habits and practices you've developed. Um, looking forward to keeping track of you over the next 12 months or so. This time next year, hopefully, we'll be a lot closer to the Olympics, and hopefully there's no, you know, other pandemic kind of thrown at us uh, that'll throw us off hopefully it'll be a vaccine around uh, by then but um yeah best of luck in the the coming months training keep at it uh great you know great to have you on great that you're flying the flag from from a longford perspective as well as an Ireland perspective so so thanks again and uh, best of luck there
0: no thank you Rob. cheers for having us
1: great stuff thanks a million Hey, folks, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, could you please consider helping me extend the reach of the podcast that a little bit further? You can do that in a number of ways. The number one way is to subscribe on your app of choice. This helps me with the chart ranking leading to more folks stumbling across the podcast and checking it out. You could also repost it on your social media channels. Any of them would be great. And maybe even tell a friend in person or over the phone, pick up the phone, give them a call and tell them about the 1% Better podcast. Tell them about this episode or one that you've heard in the past and will do. I would really appreciate it. In the last year, we set up a 1% Better Slack community, which you can join for free and ...interact with me and other members of the community and improve through holding each other accountable and sharing monthly challenges. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. I'm into season four of this incredible journey and the more of these interviews and solo shows that I research, record and share, the better I believe that they get and more loaded with actionable takeaways that you can learn from. I know I've learned so much from it so far, and it's always really, really fulfilling and rewarding when I hear from you on what you took from it. So do reach out, rob at robofthegreen.ie. And of everybody that listens, 90% listen and enjoy But only around 10% actually take action, write down takeaways and put them into practice. I am convinced that if we can move that number a bit higher, the listeners will not only make steps forward towards their goals, but they will be more fulfilled and happy and better. Change doesn't happen overnight. It is hard. But it's all about taking the first step, whatever that is for you. You can absolutely do this. Make a plan. Be deliberate. Take action. Don't overreach. Start with those small incremental improvements. And over time, you will see great progress. It's all in the pursuit of betterness. So again, thank you so much for listening. Good luck and stay safe.